Welcome to Think Over Here, the show where we hop all over the world and we learn about and think about people's cultures, stories, or, you know, <laughs> honestly, whatever I find interesting that day. And today we're going to hop over, we're going to think over in Cambodia, Southeast Asia. And I have two folktales that I want to share with you. Both of these folktales are pretty fun. They don't they don't have a lot in common with each other, other than just your classic kind of outwitting and trickery. The one thing, it's a stretch, but I'm going to make it work because I can, is that they both use geology in order to save the day. In one case, the hero uses a knowledge of sand deposition to save the day. And in the other, the hero uses the tasty mineral salt in order to save his love life. So, geology. It's important, y'all. You gotta know how that sand gets deposited. You gotta know what salt tastes like. It's gonna help you out one day. I'm here for you. Anyway. Now, this first story I found on just a little blog post that gathered a bunch of folktales from Southeast Asia. And I'll be sure to link... Uh, that site in the notes so that you can find that and give that proper accreditation. And so this, so I modified the story from that. And the title of the story kind of pretty much gives you all you need to know. Does You don't need much introduction for this story. The title of the story is The Female Crocodile Who Wanted to Eat the Monkey's Heart. So there you go. I guess you know what the story is about. So let's just jump in. In one of his former births, the Buddha was born as a monkey called Mahakabin. He was powerful and lived in the forest near the river. And you see, in this part of the river, there was a small island right in the middle of the river. And what made this island so special, you may ask? Well, let me tell you, this island was just wonderful. It was filled, cram-packed with fruit, every type of fruit imaginable was on this island. There were mangoes, papayas, the ripest dragon fruits, bread fruits, and of course, and of course there were bananas. I mean, what kind of island that a monkey would absolutely love that wouldn't have bananas? Had bananas. And so the monkey could go to this island and just eat whatever he wanted all day, every day. It was the life. Now, there was one little thing about the island that made it just a little bit tricky, and that was that the island was located right in the middle of the river. And so, the monkey, who didn't live on the island, he would have to go to the shore of the river and hop onto a sandbar that was located in the river, and then from the sandbar, he could jump onto the island. And you see, the sandbar wasn't very big, and the sand was just barely to the surface of the water. So the monkey had to be very careful when he was jumping so that he didn't miss the sandbar or slip off. But other than that, no problems. Fruit buffet every day. Now, of course, the monkey was not the only animal that lived in this part of the woods. There were also two crocodiles, a male and a female who were married and living together, and they lived there in the river next to the island. Now, you see, the female crocodile was expecting. And 
as expecting mothers often have, they have cravings. And she had a craving. Now, this wasn't your regular, you know, craving for pickles and ice cream or anything. No, she had the craving for monkey heart. And so she told her husband, Honey, I need a monkey heart. I just need it. I'm so hungry. And if you cannot find one for me, I will surely die. And you, my husband, will be left all alone. She then began to make some pitiful whimpering noises, you know, just to sell it a little bit more. And now the husband was a wonderful husband and did not like to see his wife suffering and so. And so he said, oh, oh, darling, do not worry. If you are craving it, let me bring it for you. I know just where to find one. You see, every day there is this big monkey who crosses the river to the island every morning. And then every evening, when he has his fill, he crosses back to his home. He always stops on that sandbar whenever he's traveling to or from the island. And so what I will do, I will swim and creep onto that sandbar. And I will kill him and bring you his heart. Oh, honey, that would be so wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. So the crocodile, feeling proud that he was going to surpass or, well, at least meet his husbandly duties, swam out to the sandbar. And he climbed up on it and rested on it in such a way that he covered the entire sandbar. See, he figured that the monkey would think that he was the sandbar. And when the monkey would jump onto him, he would jump right into his mouth. Well... At sunset, after the monkey had finished his day of feasting on jackfruits and bananas and mangoes and papayas, the monkey was headed for home. And so the monkey went to the shore of the island and was just about to jump onto the sandbar when he noticed something. He noticed that the sandbar seemed just a little higher than it was that morning when he crossed. So the monkey thought, hmm... This sandbar is only ever as high as the surface of the water. And so, why is this bank higher now? There wasn't any flooding today. Well, it seems that it breaks all the known ideas of geologic sediment deposition of sand and gravel in classical fluvial systems. Or maybe... Maybe there's some ferocious animal who is lying on the sandbar and wants to kill me. Yeah, I think that's it. And so the monkey called out to the sandbank, as you do. Oh, sandbank! No more are you just watery sand. Oh, no, no, no! You are a proper, proper sandbank. Oh, my. You are usually right at the water's surface, but now, now you are so much taller. How did you grow so high? For good measure, the monkey repeated that three times. And you see, when the crocodile heard the monkey calling to the sandbar, he figured that the sandbar and the monkey must be pretty good friends. You know? 
And the crocodile figured that, well, perhaps the sandbar wasn't returning the monkey's cries because he was covering it up. And so, of course, the crocodile pretended to be the sandbar. And he replied, Oh, friend monkey, I am not any higher than I was this morning. Please leap on me. Well, the monkey returned, Oh, foolish, foolish animal. The sandbar doesn't know how to talk. Who are you? Well, the crocodile figured it was just best to tell the truth because his cover was blown because he forgot that, yeah, ugh, sandbars don't talk. Mm, monkey tricked him. So he told the monkey, Monkey, I am the king of the crocodiles who live here in this river. The monkey returned back to the crocodile, Well, why do you sleep on this bank? I, I want to go home. The crocodile said, Oh, monkey, I need your heart for my wife because she is craving to eat monkey heart. Nothing personal, but you are the most accessible monkey that I know. Well, if you need my life to help your wife, I understand. I mean, those pregnancy cravings are nothing to joke about. I get it, crocodile. So, okay, listen, please just open your mouth widely and close your eyes, and then I'll just jump into your mouth said the monkey and just just be sure don't just don't forget to close your mouth after i jump in i just don't want to get all wet in the river you know so please just do me that little mercy well the crocodile was feeling pretty good about this and so he closed his eyes opened his mouth ready to receive the monkey now the monkey seeing his chance jumped off the shore and being sure to avoid the now easily discernible open mouth landed right on the crocodile's back. And not hesitating for not even a second, the monkey made a second leap as quick as an arrow from the crocodile's back onto the other bank. Now the crocodile, he felt something on his back for just a second, but with his eyes being closed, he really wasn't able to tell if it was the monkey or not, and so... The crocodile stayed there with his eyes closed and his mouth open for several long, long minutes until he realized that that monkey wasn't coming. He had been tricked. And that monkey, that monkey was long gone. <laughs> well, the crocodile felt very foolish being outwitted by the monkey. And he felt very sad that he didn't have a monkey heart to bring to his poor wife. And so he left the sandbar and went back to his place in the river with his head hanging low. But fortunately, fortunately, by the time that the crocodile had returned home, his wife's craving for monkey heart had passed. Hallelujah. And so the two simply enjoyed a simple, fresh fish dinner instead of monkey heart. And well, the monkey... He slept nice and happy there in his tree. So there you go. Now you understand why understanding the classical sediment deposition in, in fluvial systems can save your life. Helps you recognize when that sandbar is just a little too high and could be a crocodile. 
Now, so how can our how can geology help us in our love lives? You may ask. Well, that will be answered here in our next folk tale, the shepherd's soup. Now, this is modified by a story that I found from the, the Tell Me a Story archive compiled by Amy Friedman and Meredith Johnson. And again, I'll be sure to put links up uh, to that. So here we go. Once upon a time, there was a shepherd named Mooney who wandered the hills near the temples of Angkor Wat with his herd of goats. And you see... Shepherding was hard, sweaty, tiring work, and Mooney became excited when one morning he found a waterfall with these wonderful steaming hot springs where he could bathe finally after many long days of work. Well, later that morning after he'd finished bathing, he had just sat down on some rocks and he was just about to enjoy this sweet, wonderful mango for breakfast when he heard some giggling. A few of the goats heard it too and sounded back with their mas, mas. And so Mooney and the goats began to walk toward the sound, when suddenly they found the source of the giggles, for out of the forest came a girl with beautiful black hair, this wonderful, youthful, glistening smile, and a bright gleam in her eyes. The girl skipped over towards Mooney. And he couldn't help but stare, for she was more beautiful than anyone he had ever seen. I saw you bathing in the hot springs, she said. Mooney blushed. Don't, don't be embarrassed, she went on. And as she talked, Mooney's shyness began to fall away. And they talked about the villages that Mooney had passed through in the countryside. They talked about the people who lived there. They talked about all of his goats. And she told him that her name was Sheikah. And Mooney began to imagine marrying her. And building a house right there near the waterfall where they met. And he promised himself that that would happen someday. And the two sat there. And they talked and they talked and they talked. Until the day grew tired. And then suddenly Mooney heard her name being called. Sheikah! Sheikah! It was a man's voice calling. Well, Sheikah turned to Mooney and said, Oh, my father is calling me back. I, I have to go now. She dashed back into the trees toward the home of her father. Well, you see, their brief encounter was long enough for Mooney to fall head over heels for Sheikah. Mooney was completely love-struck. So for the next year, the young man could think of nothing other than marrying Sheikah. And he saved nearly every single coin that he earned selling his goat's wool and his goat's milk. And when he had finally got enough money, he purchased a beautiful ruby ring. Now, of course, the ring was beautiful, but not nearly as beautiful as Sheikah. When he had that ring... He traveled back to the waterfall, back to the hot springs, back to Sheikah's house. And when he arrived at the home, Mooney introduced himself to Sheikah's father and said, I've come to ask Sheikah to marry me. And as Mooney and the father talked, Mooney caught eyes with Sheikah. She gave him a big old smile. 
she remembers me, Mooney joyfully thought. But he was quickly shot back down to the matter at hand because her father said, Why would my daughter marry a peasant boy like you? You are nothing. You are absolutely nothing, and if you are nothing, you must be weak. And I will agree to this marriage only if you can prove that you are not weak. You must prove that you are strong. You must prove that you can do something. You must pass my test to marry my daughter. Well, with that, Mooney was led to the river for the test. And Mooney sat there confused as the father began to bound his legs tightly in rope. You, you will stand in this river up to your neck for three days and three nights, Sika's father explained. And while you are in the river, you must do absolutely nothing to warm yourself if you succeed. I will know that you are strong. Then... You may marry my daughter, but if you fail to endure the cold, you must leave this place and forget that you ever met my daughter. Well, Mooney could do nothing but agree to the terms, and so with the absolutely freezing water, Mooney stood. And Mooney was determined for two days and two nights he stood in that water without moving a muscle, enduring the cold. It was on the last day when he was cold. He was exhausted. He was tired. He was freezing. The only thing that kept him going was the thought of his beloved Sheikah. And that thought gave him strength and warmth in his heart. And if he didn't have that love, he likely would have perished on that last day. But something else happened on that last day. For as he stood there in that freezing river, he looked up at a faraway hillside, and he saw a fire burning. And when he saw that fire, he closed his eyes, and he imagined the sound of the crackling wood and the savory smell of smoke. He thought of his nights that he had slept wrapped up in warm blankets, surrounded by his animals, around the bright glow of a fire. And without thinking, almost, almost as if he were dreaming, he reached his arms toward the fire. Well, the moment he did, Sika's father appeared and cried, You have failed! Money begged him to consider. He said, I only moved my arms. I am still in this freezing river. I did nothing, he said. No, you have failed. You cannot marry my daughter, and you must leave this place and never return, the father insisted. Well, Mooney, he went to the village judge, and he told him all that happened. And the judge agreed to hold the trial to see who was right, but he needed to hear the story from both sides. So on the day of the trial, Mooney reached the courthouse, and to his horror, he saw that Sheikah's father had lavished many wonderful gifts on the judge. And while Mooney, he had absolutely nothing to give to the judge. All Mooney could hope for was that the gifts would not sway the judge's decision on what was fair and what was right. Well, at the courthouse, Mooney and Sika's father made their arguments, 
And when each party had argued their case, the judge said, Mooney, you have failed. Because you have lost, you must pay the court costs. And seeing as you do not have any funds for which to pay, you must prepare a large banquet tomorrow to settle this debt. And after that, well, you will have to leave the village forever. Mooney was furious. He saw his love slipping between his fingers. He felt the corruption of the judge. Mooney was hurt and crying. Mooney walked back to the river, trying to figure out how he could change his situation. How could he marry Sika? How could he change her father's mind? Or maybe he could change the court's decision somehow. And then, as if those weren't heavy enough thoughts, he still had to think about the food that he had to prepare. He had to find out, figure out how to find the food, how to buy the food, how to cook. And as he walked, he passed a rabbit who asked Mooney what was wrong. And Mooney told him his unfortunate tale. Well, rabbit said, well, you know, I am a well-known judge and I can fix your problem. But first, first, Mooney, you must focus on the problem at hand, and that is that you need to prepare that banquet tomorrow. Don't worry about the girl right now. Go worry about that banquet. So go sell all of your goats. And with the money that you earn, prepare many, many dishes. But most importantly, the most important dish for you to prepare is make a large pot of soup but add absolutely no salt to the soup. Well, Mooney trusted the rabbit who was wise, so he did all that the rabbit suggested. Mooney sold his goats, he prepared the food, and as Mooney was preparing the table the next day for the feast, the rabbit placed a bowl of salt beside the pot of soup. And then the gathered guests began to eat, and and the judge, he got his food first, And when he tasted the soup, he scowled. Ugh, this needs salt. Pass the bowl of salt, he said. Well, Rabbit shook his head. Forgive me, Judge, but you can see the salt right there next to the bowl of soup. Surely seeing the salt is good enough for your food. Fool, the Judge cried. How can the mere sight of salt make my soup taste any better. When the judge said that, the rabbit grinned. Then tell me this, judge. If the sight of salt cannot satisfy your taste, how did a faraway fire warm this boy? The judge instantly understood. You are right. You have helped me to see, he said. I have changed my judgment. Mooney has passed the test. He can marry Sheikah. And thankfully, Sheikah's father respected the judge's revised decision. And Mooney and Sheikah, well, they were married, of course. But additionally, the judge ordered Sheikah's father to buy Mooney's a new herd of goats as repayment for the court costs. And Mooney and Sheikah, well, they lived many years in happiness and love. And you know, of course... They eventually built a house by that waterfall. So there you go. With a little bit of perseverance, a little bit of wisdom, and 
a little bit of salt. Mooney and the rabbit were able to save his love life. What I liked about that story was when I thought about Mooney standing there in the river freezing, persevering until just that very last day. It reminded me a lot of the Greek myth of Orpheus. And I thought that that was kind of a fun connection, you know, just both these ideas of enduring right up to the end, but then just without even thinking, just natural reflexes, Orpheus's turn of his head to the silence of the underworld, and Mooney's just natural reaction of just trying to reach his arms out to a fire, and how things fall apart after that. Thankfully for Mooney, and with his friend the Wise Rabbit, they, they were able to fix things and save the day. Unlike Orpheus, of course. I also liked how Mooney was pretty open with his emotions. Mooney was pretty devastated after the court's decision, and you know, I think through his thinking and through his open emotions talking with the rabbit, the rabbit was able to help him. And so I think it's just important that if you are in need of help, if you're struggling, reach out. There are people there who want to support you, and um, they're out there. So I hope you enjoyed these two folktales from Cambodia, and I am excited. I can't even describe, okay, I can't even describe (laughs) how excited I am for next week because as I was researching these two folktales, I stumbled across a wonderful scientific controversy regarding a Cambodian legend, a mythical creature in Cambodia. There are scientists arguing back and forth whether or not a mythical creature exists. And we're talking papers published in the 1990s, papers published in the 2000s. We are talking modern day biologists and zoologists arguing whether or not a mythical creature exists in Cambodia. So I am going to share that controversy, the history, the mystery, the legend next time. So get ready for that. And until then, let's go to the question bowl to find what question I'm going to answer today. What is it? Here we go. Something that isn't food that you have eaten. Well, that's a very specific question, isn't it? Uh, I don't make it a habit to eat things that aren't food. Well, let me let me think about that. I mean, I have eaten bugs, but of course that is food in many cultures. I oh Yeah, I mean, I got to think back like when I was a kid. Cuz I mean, again, I don't I I I don't try to eat things that aren't food. Uh I Okay, okay, here we go. Here we go. This happened when I was a kid. I can't remember what, how old I was. I must have been like six or seven. And I had just watched this episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch of all things. And there was this episode where Sabrina turns into a doll. And um, she's talking to like these toys. And one of the toys describes that he got like stuck in a... I can't remember, like a vacuum cleaner or something. And he was stuck in this vacuum cleaner. And the only thing that he could eat was a penny. 
And so he had to live off that penny. And I said, I can, I want to try eating a penny. And so I ate a penny. And uh, I remember that it was very painful. It hurt a lot. Um, I didn't, I don't know what happened to the penny. I didn't follow it or anything. So there you go. Uh, I ate a penny when I was like seven or something. But just to be totally clear, I, I hope that my story about eating a pe- penny being terribly painful is clear enough. But again, just to be clear, don't eat things that aren't supposed to be eaten. Don't If it's not food, don't eat it. Especially not pennies. <laughs> because don't eat pennies because they aren't worth it. <laughs> that was terrible yeah so don't eat food don't eat things that aren't food okay (laughs) that was a weird question but uh there you go and so until next time where we learn about this upcoming scientific controversy and debate surrounding this cryptid creature well until then ciao 